your well-being and your emotional health should be somewhere on your own priority list, right? Uh, very few people would disagree with that statement, I think. When you think about things more in terms of that, and you can say, like, if I am finding this person who's being really, really gross about trans stuff. Um, I can engage, maybe hopefully be effective, maybe change this person's mind, maybe, maybe plant a seed. What will it cost me to do that? If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multi-Amory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're joined by Callie Wright from Queersplaining to talk about how to stay emotionally healthy while trying to educate others about our identities and also about being understanding when they just don't get it. Callie Wright is an activist, speaker, and host of the Queersplaining podcast, formerly known as the Gaytheist Manifesto, where she shares intimate portraits of LGBTQ lives and the issues that shape them. Callie came out as a transgender woman in the summer of 2013 and has been creating her podcast since 2015. Is that correct? 2015? That is correct. Yeah. Callie, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So the two of you met in person at Patreon. Is that right? That was the origin of this this acquaintanceship? Almost a year Mm -hmm. ago, last November. And we had met online because through Patreon, we had both been doing the same like promotion boot camp thing. Yeah, when they did the, uh, the, the beta Gosh, for yeah, the special offers. that was about a year ago, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the yeah. October, like September, October promotion thing yeah. that was occurring. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Very and cool. we were giving away free copies of pins and books and things like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so it's funny, actually, the thing that started it was just we had a, a post, you know, a place where we could all post our images we were using and what our promotions were and things like that. And I just saw the name Gaytheist Manifesto at the time. I was like, I fucking love that name. That is great. I need to go check that out. Uh, and then listen to some of it. And I was like, wow, this is really great. That's so cool. And, and then at Patreon, we ended up talking a little bit. Um, and then here we are almost a year later. I'm a sorry. A year that later. That's us, amazing. It took us this long Full to circle. do this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the thing I want to comment on is you win the lottery twice. First of all, you pick Gaytheist Manifesto as the name of your podcast, <laughs> this great name. I don't and know if that's winning the lottery. It, I think it's winning the lottery because then you change it to Queersplaining. I'm like, how do you have both two amazing names for your podcast? Um, but let's talk about Queersplaining specifically and what the show is all about. Yeah. So um, when it was Gaytheist Manifesto, I started very much as like, I want to be the like atheist LGBT person, mm-hmm. uh, like in the atheist movement. And uh, I, I kind of noticed that I was having conversations that specifically pertain to religion less and less. And I was really just more focused on like the queer and trans experience and social justice more generally. And so it was kind of like, 
you know, the name doesn't necessarily fit the content so much. And um, for almost a year, I was thinking like, man, I really need to change the name of the show because it's not like it doesn't really fit anymore. And uh, and part of the reason it took me so long was because I couldn't come up with a name that was as cool as it gave you as manifesto <laughs> for so long. Because a really good uh, name. Yeah. No, and, and I can't take full credit for it. The The word Gaytheist actually comes from a Facebook group that I was in oh, uh, nice. and, I, and I helped mod. And uh, and even like the folks that ran that group didn't come up with it either. I forget where they said they had learned it from because I went to the mods and I was like, look, I want to use this for my podcast. Is that cool? Um and uh, and I just like for forever, I like turned over in my head, I, like a bunch of different podcasters that I really respect. I would go, OK, so I want to rebrand to this. And they're like, eh, like, you got to find something that's as cool as a gay manifesto. Yeah. yeah. And uh, literally like brainstorming, writing stuff down, running stuff by everyone, hemming and hawing so much like emotional effort expended on this. And the name Queer Splaining literally just popped into my head one night when I was driving home from work. And you're like, and, that's it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. And I was like, that's totally it. I ran it by all my uh, my friends that I trust. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. And I'm like, cool, <laughs> I've got it. And so uh, at, uh, at the end of last year, uh, I took a break for like two weeks uh, and then kind of did a relaunch. Um, and it wasn't I mean, it was a relaunch in the sense that it was a new name, but I had kind of changed the format long before that to be more like storytelling focused uh, as opposed to it, like just being like a straight like two way or three way interview show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But the reason I haven't even really talked about what the show is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so like I noticed that most mainstream narratives about queer and trans people, uh, I, I don't always necessarily see myself in them. And sometimes it's because like the queer and trans experience is not monolithic. Right. Um, but sometimes I could tell it was because, uh, the person doing the reporting, uh, was not super educated on, uh, queer and trans stuff. So the story was about a queer or trans person, but it was not being told by that person. It was being told by someone who didn't necessarily have, um, the cultural competence to understand the the story they were telling. Um, and, even more so, I could tell that queer and trans folks weren't the intended audience for that story. Mm. Um, and so it was a lot of very surface level, like 101 kind of like, you know, very binary trans experiences and that kind of thing. Um, and it's not that that stuff isn't important. Like, I don't think that stuff should not exist, but that seemed like that's all there was. Mm. And um, and so I thought like, I'm, I'm kind of already doing something different than that and sort of digging a little deeper into the things that queer and trans folks wrestle with in our lives. And um, basically what it comes down to is a lot of the stories that I heard kind of sounded like I was being led on a guided tour through a zoo. Like, like, and to your left, the non-binary people and to the right, your pansexuals and, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, I want to go to that zoo. I'm sorry. Just hold the presses. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) I mean, I don't want people to be like in cages or anything like that, but, uh, uh, I like, I I would volunteer to be in the trans exhibit. I would volunteer to be in the trans exhibit as long as there were good (laughs) snacks and like we had movies to watch and stuff. I'd totally be into that. Uh, (laughs) I do really like how your show is this sort of like narrative experience that it is kind of storytelling and it feels, um, very well produced 
it's different in uh, it, from our show that does kind of go on this like banter kind of style between the three of us, but yours is this really like beautifully well-written and well-vocalized, uh, like you almost are a voice actor in essence, um, with like all of these beautiful like sounds and, and you know, it, music and stuff behind you. It's just quite lovely. And it's a really like lovely Aww. experience to have Thank as you're you. listening. <laughs> That's thank you. Um, of course. Yeah. yeah. It feels like and, very this American life to me, which is a huge compliment because I love yeah. this American life so much. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I do too. Uh, and, and that's, I mean, that's very deliberate. Like, cause mm-hmm. my, my show used to be very much just like a, you know, I'm interviewing a person or a couple of people and we're just kind of talking about a thing. Um, and, and, the, and I mean, I, I still listen to podcasts like that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That just kind of stopped being what I was interested in doing. And um, I wanted to do something that was a little bit more like deliberately planned and thought out and mm-hmm. written out and, and, and scripted somewhat. Um, and it's, it, it's a lot more creatively fulfilling. Uh, it's a hell of a lot more work. Uh, I can, you know, I can put upwards of 20 or 30 hours worth of work into a 15 minute story. Um, but it's still, but just at the end of it, it feels like it's the same, like when I used to write music and I would spend, you know, an entire day and a half writing and recording a song. And then I would just sit in my car and hit play and I would just listen to the music. And I'm like, Oh my God, I made this. (laughs) How cool! Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I love it. Do you sing as well? No, I don't sing. I play guitar. Oh, so cool. That's awesome. I, uh, I, I, I used to scream into a mic occasionally as like a backup vocalist in the metal bands that I played in. Awesome. <laughs> nice. Very That's cool. Great. So, yeah, along those lines, you sort of do this show that gives a platform and a voice to trans and queer people rather than doing like a specifically educational in a certain way kind of show. And that's a really interesting and unique kind of perspective to have as opposed to just like we're going to sit down and talk about x today so with along those lines like what has the response to that been for you it's well so what i noticed the reason why i did that is because every time like if i would do a talk where i would get up in front of people and i would sort of like recite like facts and bullet points and like here's a fact about trans people here's a fact about queer people that kind of stuff like people appreciate that and that's valuable but when i really would get like oh my god this is amazing this really meant so much to me i really got so much out of it was when i told stories about my life or stories about the lives of other people and so for me, it, it's kind of, you know, education, uh, you know, through the medium of storytelling. So um, the idea is I can tell you that 20 percent of trans people have felt uh, discriminated against in seeking medical care. Mm-hmm. Um, and like anyone with an ounce of compassion will think like, oh, gosh, yeah, that's horrible. I don't like that. That that shouldn't be a thing. Um, but if I spend 10 minutes telling you a story about my friend who thought she might be having a heart attack and went to the emergency room and was turned away as a drug seeker because her appearance didn't match her ID and, you know, they decided that she was a fraudulent drug seeker. And so she was turned like, I can tell you all of that. And that makes you feel something, Absolutely. you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's kind of. I mean, it, it, it's it's not sneaky because I'm I'm like deliberately saying like this is why I'm doing this, um, but I've just found that uh, in order to to get folks to care, um, you have to 
you have to make it make sense to them, right? And uh, in a lot of ways, I can I can spend hours and hours explaining to someone what it's like to be trans, but if that's not their experience, there's a level at which they're not going to understand it. Um, but if, if I can relate things from my life experience that people can find pieces of themselves in, um, that can trigger a little bit of that empathy or sympathy or compassion. Um, uh, you know, whereas me just saying like, like, oh, so, you know, I'm trans because I feel like my gender identity doesn't match the sex I was assigned at birth, right? Like lots of people check out after like five words of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and the other side of it too is that, you know, very deliberately in the stories that I tell, uh, queer and trans folks are my primary intended audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so not like, it's not like, you know, says that folks aren't welcome to listen and, uh, and I, I love all of those folks. Um, but part of the problem that I'm trying to solve is like, I hear from a lot of trans people who feel like, like I love podcasts and I hear so many cool podcasts about so many cool things, but I never hear a story about people like me that I actually hear myself in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's kind of the, uh, the reason why I do stories too. Um, you know, especially I've been like, I've been making a deliberate effort lately to tell stories about people who are trying to do something positive for our community. Um, so like the last episode I did was about a friend of mine who is doing photos of black trans folks in everyday life. Mm. Um, because the only popular narrative about black trans people is how terrible it is. Uh, and, and that's like, it's super valid, right? That is correct that it's a bad situation. Uh, Mm Um, but that's not the entirety of the story. And so I had a friend who just like saw a problem and decided that was a problem that she wanted to solve. Um, and I could say that. Or I could just follow her for a day while she's doing her thing and put a microphone in her face and like follow her as she's doing the thing. Right. Um, And to me, I think at least me personally, I connect a lot more with content like that than I do someone just saying the the facts and the talking points and the bulletins. Um, it's not that those things aren't important. It's just like that's the content that I get something out of. And so that's the content that I like to create, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. It's lovely. So so in addition to the current form, you know, where you'll have a guest on or maybe a few guests and you're kind of telling a story, sort of a narrative about those people and with those people. In addition to that, uh, you also you know, do still do presentations and work as an educator and an activist. And on your show in the past that was a little more like conversation interview based also did kind of discussion with that. Um, Well, I guess, first of all, do you still do any of that? So I remember you talking about on more recent episodes, talking about experiences in the past where you've engaged with people who traditionally someone would go, whoa, as a trans person, I would never want to go talk to that person because they're so against what I am and who I am. Um, but that you, you were able to engage and actually had some, I would say like surprisingly positive results from that. Yeah. Is that what, what were, can you just like give us a one rundown of like, what were some of those experiences and uh, are you still doing any of that kind of stuff? Cause I know that's hard to do. Yeah. So actually one of the more like foundational transformative, transformative experiences I had, for some reason, I'm remembering very, very clearly that it was episode 14 of the Catheist Manifesto. Oh, wow. That's okay. a long time amazing ago. because we cannot um, pull that oh, stuff God. out of the air. No way. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I think that's probably the only one aside from maybe one or two others that I can remember because this was such like a, a transformative thing for me. Um So in atheist circles, there are lots of people who will just like 
find random atheists to add. Um, and sometimes it's because people feel very lonely and they don't have community where they are. So they just want other people who think and see the world like them, which is totally valid. Um, uh, and then there are some people that we call uh, atheist friend collectors who do that because they feel like it gives them a platform to just talk. Mm. Um, but uh, I, I didn't know uh, which one of these things this person was when he added me on Facebook. But like we had a couple of atheist community mutuals, scrolled his Facebook wall a little bit, seemed decent enough. So sure, let's add him. And then not even like a day or two later, uh, I saw a post from him that uh, in, in so many words was like, transgender people make me really uncomfortable. Mm. And I was like, Ooh, that's gross. I don't like that. And so wow. I had like five paragraphs written out to comment about that. <laughs> and I kind of stopped and I just erased all of that. And I just said, why? Mm. And his response was, you know, I used to be a pretty terrible person and maybe that's just the side of that, that I haven't unpacked yet. Fascinating. Hmm. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that is not what I expected. And wow. No, not at huh. all. And, I, and like, and I've been doing this for a long time. And I do have to say that folks like this are rare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. um, but uh, so I, I sent him a Facebook message and I wanted to talk with the guy. And um, I, I was like, yeah, you know, I actually do a podcast about this kind of thing. But then I realized I didn't have a trans 101 episode to send to mm. him to like explain the basics. And then I thought, oh, my God, how cool would it be if my Trans 101 Uh episode was having this guy on my show to ask him my questions? Um, Because he seemed like he was at least trying to engage in good faith. Right. Um, And so, like, maybe it turns into a disaster and it doesn't become an episode of the show, but it has a potential of being cool. Right. Um, And so we did it. Called him, uh, called him up on Skype and we talked for, God, I think it was like two and a half hours. Um, and and we had a great conversation. It was really nice. And and I still talk to him every once in a while to this day. Um, and yeah, and we were, we were just like really honest and vulnerable with each other about our experiences. And, um, he, uh, basically he related an experience of, uh, being black in New York on the subway and people looking at him like, you know, he's constantly about to steal something um and and i was like yeah you know like racism and transphobia definitely not the same thing but like you know in terms of like people looking at you and and making judgments about who you are and treating you differently because you're different like we do have we have somewhat of that in common um and it was just like 180 degree shift in the way that he viewed things and uh, and it was great. And I like I got a friend out of the deal and uh, <laughs> I got feedback on that episode for a very, very long time afterwards. Imagine. Um, it, yeah, and it, it was great. And, um, you know, I I will be honest and say at the beginning, I was a lot more sort of bright eyed and bushy tailed and optimistic than I am now. Mm. <laughs> um, can, can relate to that. Yeah. Podcasting yeah. will do that too. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like it's a grind. Uh <laughs> But but even now, like if I get the sense that someone is asking questions and engaging in good faith, I'll usually at least attempt a conversation. Um, but it kind of took me a while to realize, like, I'm actually I'm actually arguing my humanity with this person and that mm. doesn't feel good. Um, <sighs> and it's valuable work. Right. Uh, I would never tell any individual person that they're obligated to do it. But I do think it is important uh, for those of us who have the capacity and capability to do that. Um, and so. So, uh, so yeah, I don't, 
on my show specifically, I don't usually engage in those kinds of conversations because I don't, um, I'm just not super interested in making one-on-one level. There's lots of great content out there that does that. And I would rather just like promote that content than create that for my show. Um, just because the, those convert, I hate saying like, like I'm beyond that, you know, because that, <laughs> that's not what I mean. Um, but for me, it's just about like, you know, what, what's the content that I want to create? Like what's interesting to me and what's interesting to the folks who listen to the show. Um, and, and like one-on-one level stuff is just not it. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Um, but now when it comes to like going to conventions and doing talks and that kind of thing, absolutely. Um, I'm actually, I'm going to be doing a talk in November where they've, they had literally asked me to write a trans one one uh, and oh, do wow. like a Q and a, which I'm like, I'm totally cool with. Oh, you um, weren't like, I'm beyond that. How <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> dare you? Have there's you not social, listened to my show? There's you a social media quote for you. <laughs> Uh, um, but no, I actually did. Um, I went to, I didn't put this on the show, um, because it lots of reasons. Um, but I, I went and did a panel discussion in a really rural area, uh, mm. where somebody was trying to start an LGBTQ advocacy organization and, uh, there weren't any trans folks that this person mm. knew in their community. And, um, so they reached out to me to say like, Hey, can you come be a part of this discussion panel? Um, and, uh, and it was super challenging, like, um, you know, like I'm, I'm at like gender deconstructionist and I am dealing with people who are like, but you were born with a penis, Mm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and, but again, this person, like I could tell that the way that she was asking questions, she was kind of incredulous about all of this because it was very new to her and very difficult to understand. Um, but she was interested in learning and understanding. Like she had a very basic level of like, well, this is a person communicating something to me about their life experience and I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. And in some ways I might even be hostile to it. Uh, but like, this is an actual like whole human being in front of me and I want to try to understand their experience. Um, and so, you know, you mentioned earlier, like assuming good intentions, uh, and, um, and I definitely, I God, I try to do that. It's not easy. Um, and for me, honestly, it's just about like, if I walk into uh, something like knowing I'm going to have a conversation like that, I, uh, I always have a plan for afterwards if I'm in a bad mental state, because that has certainly happened before. Yeah. Um, Some self-soothing and self-care. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, sometimes it's just like watching silly stuff on Netflix and eating ice cream. You know what I mean? Like it's not um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a very elaborate like I'm not like um, like someone who's had like a PTSD episode triggered, like is certainly not Mm -hmm. on that level for me. Um, But it is very difficult and exhausting uh, because because what it comes, you know, when it really comes down to it, I am kind of arguing my humanity to those folks. Uh, It sucks that that's where we are. But unfortunately, that is where we are. Yeah. 
Yeah, I listen to your PTSD, or sorry, no, your P, uh, what is it? TSA. That's the one. Sorry. Oh, my the bad. TSA episode. Your TSA episode. <laughs> exactly. Gosh. Your TSA God. episode, which was fabulous. Um, Thank you. But yeah, I remember you saying you went and got your McFlurry afterwards to help like feel better. And yeah. And we, got I misgendered by the cashier. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, I got treated like crap by the TSA, yeah. and I'm feeling real bad about it, and feeling all kinds of gender dysphoria. And then the the cashier is like, "Here's your McFlurry, sir." I know. And you're like, oh. God damn it! Yeah, I'm gonna I crawl know. into so a hole sorry. and die now. It's fine. See y'all later. Yeah. It's been it's been great. So we sort of touched on this before, but just are there also any examples of how like needing or feeling as though you're obligated or just people asking you by merit of like being an educator in the community um, about, you know, issues that trans and queer folk have to deal with on a daily basis. Are there examples of like how that shows up in your daily life, even with friends and family as well? Because obviously you do it you know, on your bigger scale in your podcast and on your YouTube channel and then you do it at these different uh, panels, but then even with friends and family, are there still times where you need to explain yourself or where you just even need to feel uh, like you need to educate and help out in that way? Definitely at first, it's kind of petered out uh, over the last probably year to two years or so. Um, I think just because for most of the people in my life, it is the normal state of being now. And like all of the, uh, maybe not all, but like most of the questions have kind of been worked through. Mm. Um, and for me, a, a lot of what it's shifted to is like, I'm kind of in a position of like being an ally for other trans folks. Like, uh, when someone's like, you know, I don't, I don't get what it means to be non-binary and I'm like, well, I'm not non-binary, so I don't really get it either. But like, mm-hmm. I have lots of non-binary friends who have been very patient with me and explained these things to me so I can hopefully like be an educator on their behalf. Um, and that, that feels different for me because that's not me necessarily advocating for my own experience. It's me, uh, being an advocate for other folks, uh, which, uh, I think there, there's a lot of ways in which it's a little bit easier to advocate for other people than it is for yourself. Um, yeah. you know, cause like when people treat you like crap, well, I shouldn't say you, I should say me. And I know this is a common experience when people treat me like crap. I'm always just like, Oh, like I probably did something to deserve. Maybe I could have been nicer when I was talking to this person and, um, you know, giving that infinite benefit of the doubt. But like when my friends are involved and people are like being mean to, I'm like, I'm just like ready no. to show up and like, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so it, it really, it, it stopped actually mostly after I had my bottom surgery about two years ago. Um, cause that was kind of like the big, like most of the questions of like identity and like unpacking gender politics and all of that sort of stuff was pretty much out of the way. And then it just became like, you know, all of those really like, cause I, I kind of put myself out there as like, there are lots of people who are very uncomfortable talking about it. I am not one of them. And so like, if you really, really want me to compare and contrast peeing before and afterwards, <laughs> I'm up for that. Uh, just, just understand that if you ask that question, you will get the answer and you want to be sure that you want the answer to that question. <laughs> right. It's your own fault yeah, for asking. Be uh, prepared. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Wow. Um, and, and I think there's there's something uh, like I, I joke about like being a narcissist, but like there's something inherent in my personality that just makes it easier for me uh, than it is for a lot of people to have those conversations because I, I enjoy uh, talking about those things. And I think it's because I don't have 
I don't have trauma in my past related to like being queer, being trans. Like I have a lot of baggage, lots of like issues that I've had to work through and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but never any like actual trauma or tragedy based on those things. Um, and so it's a little bit easier for me to kind of step forward and talk about those experiences than it might be for other folks. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm a little more like predisposed to those conversations than, than maybe the average person is also. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. something that's kind of like a, a privilege that I have and being comfortable yeah. in that space. Yeah. Yeah. I know for myself, ever since we started doing the show, it seems to go back and forth for me between there are definitely times where I feel like, yeah, like I have the privilege of having the energy and the comfort in having these conversations with people and being able to field all these questions. And so that's great. I can step up so that other people don't have to necessarily and answer these questions and do the press release and all those things. But then other times where I feel more like, oh my God, I'm, I'm so exhausted by educating that I just don't want to have this conversation in my personal life. And so I'm sure that you've experienced a lot of that. And I wanted to know for you, what's been effective, you know, what's been effective for you that helps you maintain your own emotional health when you are feeling exhausted by educating all the time, both in this very public sphere and in the more private sphere as well. So I keep, uh, I keep a wins file in my Google drive that, oh, I like uh, that. Only I see. No one uh -huh. else will ever see it because it's because a lot of uh, times it's stuff that people have shared with me in confidence that, um, you know, that uh, mm. like stories that people tell me but are not mine to tell other people. Mm. Um, and so, you know, when there's been an episode of the show or something I did or something I said that someone like took the time to reach out to me that and, and to tell me that it was meaningful to them or help them in some way, I'll usually uh, I'll like take a screenshot of it or uh, do a copy paste or something like that. And that's like, you know, when I feel like, cause it's a lot easier when you feel like you're being successful at that, right? Like that labor, at least for me, it becomes easier when I feel like it's accomplishing something. And my feelings of exhaustion usually revolve around, um, my God, these problems are so big. There's no way I'm actually making a difference. Like mm. this, like maybe matters on a small, tiny scale, but I'm not making a dent in the universe. It doesn't matter. What am I doing? Um, and when I'm feeling like that, that's kind of when I go back to that and I look and I'm like, no, like I have like someone who took time out of their day to send me a message, right? Like this is not just some random person blowing smoke up my ass to be polite, right? This person went out of their way to send me an email, to send me a Facebook message, to approach me at a convention, um, and, and share this like deeply personal thing with me about how something I did or said affected them. Um, and, and that's in a lot of ways, that's a privilege too, right? Because when we're talking about like trying to be effective and trying to stay healthy, um, because the medium that I, because of the medium that I use that, that more immediate feedback is available to me in a way that it might not be to other people, right. um, who, you know, have a conversation to plant a seed that might make a major difference for somebody five years down the road, but you never know that that happens. Right. Yeah. Um, and because of the medium that I engage in, I, that feedback is a little bit more immediately available to me. And so that's super helpful. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that you kind of touched on this earlier, but, you know, in saying that no one is obligated to educate other people about whatever it is about their identity. Um, and yet we often feel like we have to anyway, <laughs> you know, that it's, it's always that balance between 
between, okay, either I take the time to try to educate this person, which may or may not be received well, and may or may not have a larger or smaller impact on my own energy level and emotional well-being and stuff like that. And then on the other hand, if I don't, then I have to keep putting up with them having that misunderstanding. Maybe if this is someone who's going to keep coming up in my life, like a coworker or a relative or something, or, you know, or, or maybe feeling guilt that I'm letting my community down by not being the one to educate this person. And I mean, like, that's such a hard thing to figure out. If like, how do you justify that for yourself? And I'm, I'm curious, not only for yourself, but if you've found things in talking with other people that has helped that, because I think this applies, you know, whether someone is trans or queer or you're non-monogamous or a relationship anarchist or, you know, anything that's not the the normal thing that everyone understands, or at least everyone thinks they understand, uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's this to some degree or another. Um, yeah. I guess that, like, what, what are some factors to think about in that equation and maybe some, some ways that people find that helps? So what has helped for me and what I have heard helps other people sometimes is there are some kind of foundational shifts in thinking that I had to make in order to, to navigate that dynamic in a healthy way. Um, because I think most people will agree that your well-being and your emotional health should be somewhere on your own priority list, right? Uh, very few people would disagree with that statement, I think. Um, where we would tend to, to maybe find disagreement is when I say, like, maybe you should be in the top five, right? Um, you know, maybe if you have kids, your kids are number one or your, you know, your spouse or your partner is number one or something along those lines. But when I, like, when you think about things more in terms of that and you can say, like, if I am finding this person who's being really, really gross about trans stuff, um, I can engage, maybe hopefully be effective, maybe change this person's mind, maybe, maybe plant a seed. What will it cost me to do that? Mm. Um, can I do this and leave the conversation maybe feeling a little bit annoyed, go out and play with my puppy and it's all good? Um, am I in a headspace where this is like really going to be a damaging thing to me? And, um, if I make a calculation that engaging in this is going to be a seriously damaging thing for me, I will disengage. Uh, and that's because I am comfortable prioritizing my health and safety. Um, and so that's not to say it's never a difficult decision, right? Because the line between can I be effective and can I not be effective? That's not always clear. Mm. Um, but um, I, I think it's usually pretty easy to tell when someone's engaging in good faith or not. And, um, you know, when they're asking questions and actually being receptive to the answers as opposed to when they're asking gotcha questions and that kind of thing. Right. Um, and so foundationally, whenever someone asks that question, I always have to say like, well, I, I really think that you should internalize and accept the idea that your well-being is important in this conversation as well. So as uh, as a person who is trans and also doing trans activism, uh, my well-being is trans activism, right? The well-being of other trans people is trans activism. Uh, and, and so if this is only going to cause me pain and not accomplish it, then Mm. it's um it's almost like a it's almost like a math problem for me like that's that's not a super difficult decision as long as it's clear 
to me whether this person is engaging in good faith uh, and I can be effective or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I will often err on the side of preserving my own health doing that um, because you know, anyone who engages in this kind of thing regularly probably has a very long list of conversations we've, you know, they've had in their lives. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's been a whole lot of fights that you've decided to sit in. If you want to sit this one out, cool. Because at the end yeah. of the day, like when we're talking about what's effective, right? Because the the foundational thing is, is, uh, you know, I, I feel like I need to do this because I need to change hearts and minds. Um, you can't, if you're exhausted, if you're emotionally depleted, if you're depressed, if you're in a bad emotional state, you are not going to be effective anyways. And so putting yourself in a position where you're going to end up in that state is like, you're not doing anyone any good in that mm. position. And yeah. so like, if I have to trade a teensy little bit of guilt for staying in a good place mentally, like that's a trade that I'm willing to make personally. That's yeah. really good advice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that sort of mental formula, like that kind of mathematical formula you're running through also reminds me of the story you told earlier where that guy had written that trans people made him uncomfortable on, and you had originally written, you know, your five paragraph response to it. And then instead just said, why? And I think that also you know, there's the, do I engage at all? And then there's also the, do I, how do I engage? Do I actually engage or do I just rant back or do I, you know, (laughs) kind of go back? And that's That's a hard thing to not do, I think. Because one type of rant really isn't like trying to come to a meeting of a minds. Mm -hmm. It's simply just like talking at another person and potentially having them talk back at you and nothing really telling each other why you're there. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But, but you did engage, you actually asked a question, which is so powerful. And I probably, I mean, even like trolls on Facebook, I wonder how often they even get asked questions maybe, but it's it's (laughs) maybe that's not the best use of your question asking, but well, no, sure, sure. (laughs) Yeah. But this, this ended up being a different story. Whereas it could have been just Mm. a person saying something (laughs) that was going to be rude and awful, but instead it it ended up being this really amazing thing. How lovely. Yeah. Well, and, and where things get complicated too, is that I think, um, in, in my mind, uh, activism has two basic purposes. Uh, the first being to like change hearts and minds and like, you know, win people to the cause or whatever. Um, the other thing, uh, the other purpose it can serve is to, uh, simply protect people from harm, like in the moment. Right. And so when people talk about like, you know, like the, the ranty, like yelly Facebook stuff, Um, I am not a person who actually dismisses the value of that out of hand um, because it can uh, it it can signal to me who is willing to like go to bat to protect me. Right. So like if somebody is being super terrible to me in the comment section, like throw in um, anti queer slurs and anti trans slurs at me. Um, if a person is responding to that by being very polite, Oh gosh, that's not nice. Can we have a conversation about that? Like Hmm. I'm like, where are your priorities? Like, who are you trying to protect? Like you're, you're, you're making a deliberate decision about who you're prioritizing in this conversation. Right. Um, and so I don't dismiss the like ranty. I I probably would have at that point, that's kind of another shift in thinking that I've made. Mm -hmm. Um, and sort of 
deliberately undertaking the question of like, what's my purpose in engaging? So if I decide to engage, right, what is my purpose here? Is my purpose to kind of like draw a circle around my my friends and my people and make sure that I'm trying to protect them? Uh, and, and that often involves like pushing other people out of that circle. And that's a valid thing to do. Um, but sometimes it does involve the asking a question like, well, why do you, why do you think that what's, you know, what, what have you been through in life that have made, that's made you feel that way? Um, and, and I think, I actually think both of the, both sides of that equation can be valuable. It's, um, just kind of figuring up, you know, using a a precision strike and figuring out what's the most effective thing to use in which situation. Mm. What's the easiest choice you can make window instead of middle seat, picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket, outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. No, that's that's blowing my mind a little bit because I think, you know, when I think back to the times when I've felt inspired to speak up on something, um, that often for me, it just comes from this kind of reactionary, angry kind of place. And it's and it's true. Like it often falls into those different categories of sometimes it is the I want to stand up for someone that I care about who's who's getting attacked or getting bullied, or sometimes it is the I'm really passionate about this issue and I really want to change this person's mind. Or sometimes it is like, I'm just freaking angry and just need someone to talk at and I don't care how it lands, but I'm not always aware of where it's coming from, you know? And it seems like that just that little step of having the mindfulness of figuring out what's my purpose in responding to this can so change your approach to it. But I think that sometimes we're used to just letting whatever reactionary emotions come up, kind of take the wheel essentially. And I think like you make the point that it doesn't mean that that those feelings are invalid or not useful, but sometimes it's like finding the, the what mild like degree does it need to be angled at essentially is kind of the way that I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, thinking deeply about what your purpose is in a situation is, is super transformative, or at least it is for me. Um, and, and it can be, like for anybody who tries to curate a community of any kind, like there's a, uh, an organization recently who I will not name that had like a, a kind of a big shift in thinking about like, they didn't want to, they didn't want to censor people. So like they stopped, uh, they stopped policing use of like racial slurs and gendered slurs and anti-queer slurs and stuff like that. And they're like, we're not okay with transphobia, but the words we're not going to police. Right. Um, which like, there's a whole slate of things to unpack there, <laughs> uh-huh. but, yeah, um, okay. <laughs> but the idea being like, in a space where people are very openly using anti-trans slurs, that's never a space I'm going to feel comfortable in. Mm. And by making that decision, you may say you're not okay with transphobia, 
but a whole lot of trans people are not comfortable in your space anymore. And so you've, you've made a decision. It maybe isn't the one that you intended to make or the, not the one that you realized to make, uh, but you have actually picked a side. Um, and, uh, and so again, figuring out your purpose and thinking through the logical consequences of the action and, and, uh, listening to people whose experiences you might not understand, like all of those things are super important to factor in. Hmm. Yeah. So I want to start talking about, you know, having these strategies for yourself for for self-care and figuring out where you stand in a situation. But I also want to bring in, um, I guess, this idea of it not being in a vacuum and not being something that we do totally alone, you know, about reaching out to support network. So we're a huge fan on this show of the short instructional manifesto for relationship anarchy. Um, There's a line in the manifesto that talks about how heterosexism is just so prevalent and rampant. And specifically, the the manifesto says, work with people that you love to find escapes and tricks to counter the worst of the problematic norms. Find positive counterspells and don't let fear drive your relationships. And so I want to talk more about, you know, not only what one can do as an individual to help maintain emotional well-being in these instances, but like, how can you really call on the resources of community or the people that you love to enroll them kind of in that, that same purpose? Gosh, um, for me, it was, I think this is another situation where, um, the first step for me was sort of a shift in the foundation of my thinking. Um, so I had a day job along with the podcast for a long time. And so that consumed most of my life and I didn't have a whole lot of time except for here and there, um, for not even self-care, just self, uh, and like, just like having a life of my own. And, um, one of the commitments that I made to myself at the beginning of last year was that I was going to make more time to do that. Um, And so like, there's a lot, a lot of really nuts and bolts kind of things that I do. Um, like I Google calendar everything and I Google (sighs) calendar time for myself and that time is sacred. Um, and, uh, and, and I Google calendar time for my wife and I, and that's sacred. And, uh, and, and like, I don't adhere to it perfectly because that's impossible given the nature of the life that I lead. Um, but I, you know, it's 80, 85% effective, I think. Uh Um, and then, uh, you know, for me, uh, a big part of that is like, I want to be that for other people. Right. Um, I want to like be that person that people can reach out to and, uh, thinking of myself as a member of a community. So like I play roller derby and I have a whole community of people that are involved in that. I have my, my podcasting community. I have my wife, I have my close circle of friends. Um, and because I am an active part of that community and I make contributions to those folks as well, uh, it's not as tough for me to ask for help from those folks when I need it. Um, and so it's, uh, gosh, what is the, it's, uh, uh, from each according to their abilities to each according to their need kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, right. Is that Marx? I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm so not a philosophy nerd. Um, um, but I just, you know, I, I try to give what I can and that makes it a little bit easier for me to make the ask for help when I need it. So, uh, you know, when it comes to engaging, uh, in community, I have, you know, folks who have a history of, of being there for me, like my, 
my friend who's been like my best friend since I was 14 has been through me, been with me through everything. Mm. Um, you know, it, it cult cultivating maybe is a weird word. Um, but the idea is like any community that I exist in, I try to be a valuable part of that community. So it's a little bit easier for me to call on that community when I need, uh, that kind of help. Um, and it's not like transactional, like I give only so I can get, um, but I, I give because I think it, you know, when, when a person who's a part of a community gives what they're, uh, what they're capable of giving, everyone is better for it. Um, and I, uh, I hope the folks who are part of the communities that I'm in have the same thoughts and philosophies. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and again, like prioritizing my own health, right. Um, I'm a lot more comfortable making the ask, uh, but I also don't feel entitled to it. Like if somebody says like, ah, eh, that's not, I can't do that right now. Cool. No worries. Hmm. So you mentioned, uh, earlier in this, and actually when we were emailing before this, you also mentioned this, but about, uh, kind of working with your friends to come up or, or I can't remember if this was more by yourself or with your friends, but coming up with kind of a system for maintaining your emotional health. And like earlier you mentioned, if you uh, know you're going into a situation, like you make a plan, can you give some examples of that? Like what you're talking about? Yeah. So, um, it's kind of an order of operations I go through <laughs> okay. when, I'm uh, when, like when I'm, when I'm doing something and I'm wondering like what's going on. Um, and so, uh, so the first question I ask myself is, uh, the problem that I am trying to solve, the reason that I am engaging in this activity, uh, does that need still exist? Does that reason still exist? Um, so for example, like a big struggle of mine, I've almost quit podcasting several times, uh, because of how many people, because of how many shitty people that I've run into, uh, people who have betrayed my trust, uh, people who have treated me badly, people who have treated people I care about badly, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and when I'm like, okay, but why did I start doing this? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I started doing this because there was a need that I identified that I thought maybe I could have some contribution in solving. Um, and so does that need still exist? Yep. Sure does. Okay. So let's move on to step two. Step two is, uh, is the, is the way that I'm engaging with meeting this need still, uh, having any sort of effectiveness, right? Um, and so that goes back to, uh, it's a little bit easier for me to answer this question because the way that I engage makes that feedback more readily available to me than it might be to other people. So this, you know, works for me, may not work for everyone. Um, and if the answer is yes, then I move on to step three and step three is, can I continue doing this and stay healthy? Mm. Um, and if the answer to all three of those questions is yes, then I just keep moving. Um, if the answer to any of those questions is no, then, I mean, that's not necessarily a, like, well, time to pack up and leave, but it's time to reevaluate where I'm at. Um, and, and so like in any sort of like activisty type activity, uh, when I'm trying to figure out, like, if it makes sense for me to keep engaging, that's sort of the process that I go through. Um, because for me, it's like, I didn't start doing what I do for any of these shitty people. So why would I stop doing what I do for any of these shitty people? Right. Interesting. Yeah. Um, um, and so when, when it comes to the work that I do, that's the, the, the sort of process that I, that I go through, um, in my personal life, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit more squishy than that because it's kind of dependent on the situation. 
Um, like obviously I ha- like I have my wife and she's great. Uh, and I, uh, deliberately try to make time to spend with her as she does with me. Uh, we have things that we do to get, like I mean, we snuggle on the couch watching movies with our puppy all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we like having dinner together. Um, and we kind of have an implicit agreement that like we try to keep our phones put away and try to minimize distractions. Um, but, um, but there's, there's, there's not hard and fast rules about that too. For me, it's, it, it's a lot about communication. If she's playing a video game that she really wants to play, but I'm not super interested in watching her play that video game, I'll just sit and play on my phone while I'm snuggling with her. So we're like doing separate things, but together. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that came from just like a very honest and vulnerable assessment of like what our needs were. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas like, you know, she would be sitting in her computer room playing her video games and I would be sitting in my office watching Netflix. Like we're both complaining about how neither of us spend enough time together. Uh, We don't actually have to be doing the same thing just because we're in the same room as one another, you know? Um, So uh, like a lot of things, I feel like that just kind of comes back to communication. Absolutely. That was a whole lot. (laughs) <laughs> no, I love that. Yeah, thank you for all that. That's amazing. I we're kind of coming up on the end of the episode, but Kelly, where can people find more of you and your work? It's uh, queersplaining.com is the website. Uh, the podcast is available anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, I'm Callie Wright on Facebook, at Callie Gets It on Twitter and Instagram. So all of those places I am available. Great. And so I have, I have a request for the end of this episode. So, Absolutely. <laughs> so every time uh, that I listen to Queersplaining, the way that you close every show uh, makes me cry. Literally every single time, because it's so Aww. beautiful. <laughs> and <laughs> I was wondering if you might be able to give us that closing message here, but, but for this episode and, and for this show too. And uh, to watch yeah. Queersplaining. Because uh, I, think, I think the message <laughs> of it is something that really speaks to me about why we do this show too. And so I, I just really love it. Would you, would you be able to, to give us your like ending copy? Absolutely. So before we go, we want you to know that if you're lost, you're hurting, you're scared. If you feel like no one cares and no one understands, you need to know there's a community out here that loves you, cares for you, knows that you're capable of amazing things and that you are worthy of love. If you're struggling, please don't be afraid to reach out. Until next time, friends, my name is Callie Wright, and these are all these fine folks. And this has been Multi Emery. Damn it. I cried. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, because yeah. when we close Literally the show, it's usually stuff like, hey, don't weaponize this shit. Be nice. Don't break up. You can break up with that person. Break up with that asshole. Yeah. Oh, well, I, like I mean, that. I do that too. Uh, the episode that I'm doing this week is an advice episode and I'm Ooh. giving a lot of that like, like stand up for yourself, set boundaries, enforce <laughs> consequences. Yeah. That's great. Love oh, man. Um, all right. So Callie is going to stick around with us and we're going to record some bonus content. If you want access to that, uh, we'll be talking about that in the patron only bonus episode. Uh, I'm thinking we're going to talk about some other related things. I have I have some things I want to bring up. I also want to talk to you more about roller derby. Uh, so Sweet. <laughs> we're going to get oh, to yeah. all that in the bonus episode. But in the meantime, 
Those of you listening out there, we would love to hear your feedback on this. What are some ways that you take care of yourself? What are some positive counterspells that you've come up with within your community? What are some ways you give back to your community or ways that it's really helped you? Uh, we would love to hear your thoughts. And the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com, leave us a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-0-5, or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.